In November 1971, a pivotal moment in history was about to unfold, as the Okinawa Reversion Agreement was months away from being ratified. It was a bilateral agreement between the United States and Japan, wherein the U.S. agreed to cede all rights and interests in favor of Japan. Following years of clashes with American forces, there was a palpable sense of relief and joy among the local Japanese, who were finally pleased that the American GIs would soon be returning to their home country. Six months later, the reversion agreement was formally enacted, signifying the end of 27 years under U.S. rule as Okinawa ultimately reverted to Japanese sovereignty. This was a significant diplomatic milestone for the two nations, and many celebrated the occasion. The withdrawal of the United States and the recognition of Japan as a sovereign nation sparked extensive celebrations, not only in Okinawa, but also in the heart of the nation, in Tokyo. However, the agreement was still met with discontent from many people. Even though it signaled Japan's regaining of sovereignty, it didn't necessarily translate to the complete withdrawal of American troops from Japan, as the majority of them continued to maintain their presence, especially in Okinawa. The rationale behind this decision was rooted in Okinawa's perceived strategic significance for the U.S., as it served as a crucial staging post for various conflicts, including those in Korea and Vietnam. Many years ago, locals in Okinawa expressed heightened apprehension regarding the enduring U.S. military presence. The U.S. had set up many military bases here, and some of which had been constructed by displacing residents from their homes. Even though the Okinawan islands would be returned to Japan, the U.S. troops were here to stay, and this caused anger among the locals who had grown weary of their land being used as instruments of war. Additionally, their discontent extended to the behavior of the American soldiers, which they perceived as unacceptable and downright disrespectful. For decades, the presence of American troops has left a trail of chaos on the islands of Okinawa. While the culpability doesn't rest on all servicemen, a disconcerting number have been found guilty of inflicting significant pain and suffering on the local population. In the aftermath of each tragic incident, the streets of Okinawa would erupt in riots and protests, resonating with a collective demand for the immediate withdrawal of American forces. In 1995, three U.S. servicemen kidnapped and raped a 12-year-old girl. This act triggered massive civil unrest, with approximately 85,000 residents participating in the largest rally ever witnessed on the island. In 1970, an Okinawan was killed in a hit-and-run accident. The servicemen that were involved were subsequently acquitted at their court-martial. This sparked the Koza Riot, where approximately 5,000 Okinawans clashed with more than 700 American military police officers, highlighting a significant point of tension. In 1967, anger amongst the locals had reached new heights when a four-year-old girl was run over and killed by a military crane. Yet the roots of discontent trace back to 1955, marked by perhaps one of the most heinous crimes ever committed by a U.S. serviceman on Okinawan soil. 
Her name was Yumiko Nagayama, and she was five years old when she was abducted, raped, murdered, and mutilated by 31-year-old Sergeant Isaac J. Hurt. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. This episode may contain sensitive details and graphic imagery. Listener discretion is advised. In September of 1955, the mutilated body of a five-year-old girl was found in a landfill that belonged to the Kadena Air Base in Okinawa. At the time, the air base fell under the governance of the United States Civil Administration of the Ryukyu Islands, and the place was swarming with American troops. The victim was discovered to be five-year-old Yumiko Nagayama, and forensic evidence found that she had been sexually assaulted prior to her death. Not only that, her body had been cut up by a sharp knife beginning from her abdominal region and extending to the bowel. When investigators found strands of brown hair on Yumiko's body, they speculated that the perpetrator must have been a foreigner. This suspicion led to a collaborative investigation involving both the US military and the Ryukyu police, which culminated in the arrest of 31-year-old Sergeant Isaac J. Hurt. Facing grave charges including rape, murder and kidnapping, Sergeant Hurd was swiftly taken into custody to address the public outrage. The news triggered widespread outrage among Okinawans, and their anger had only intensified due to the extraterritoriality laws, which meant that Yumiko's alleged rapist and murderer would not be subject to an Okinawan trial, but rather a US military court-martial. In response to this incident, a rally for the protection of children was organized in Okinawa, leading to the formation of the APC, the Association for the Protection of Children. Many Okinawans rallied in the streets in support of this cause, demanding justice. This was just days after the discovery of Yumiko's body, and to make matters worse, weeks after another U.S. serviceman named Raymond Parker was sentenced to life in prison for the rape of a nine-year-old Okinawan girl. It's not hard to see why the locals were deeply frustrated. They had generously allowed U.S. soldiers to access their land and utilize their resources for the war effort. However, instead of gratitude, the soldiers entered Okinawa and inflicted pain and suffering on the local population. At the time, the majority of rape or sexual assault cases were committed by foreigners, particularly U.S. servicemen. When it was announced that Sergeant Isaac J. Hurd would be trialed in a U.S. military court-martial, Okinawans vehemently insisted that the U.S. military should, quote, punish offenders of this kind of case with the death penalty without leniency, regardless of nationality or ethnicity. They further demanded that Hurd be tried in a civilian court and that the proceedings be publicly broadcasted. However, these demands were denied. The Okinawan people feared that a trial in a US military court might result in a more lenient sentence for Hurt. However, their concerns were somewhat appeased when the trial concluded. 
The court-martial lasted for 13 days and was packed full of twists and turns. During the trial, the prosecution's key witness was a nine-year-old boy who testified that he had seen an American GI resembling Hurt on the day of the incident. However, this young boy could not positively identify Hurt in a lineup of suspects. Another witness was Yoshiko Kamimura, a waitress that testified about seeing bloodstains on Hurt's pants. The records, however, do not specify whether this testimony was validated or considered during sentencing. Hair samples had also been collected from the door handle and seat cover in the sergeant's vehicle, but none of it seemed to match the victim or directly implicate Isaac Hurt in the murder. In December of 1955, despite Hurt insisting that he was innocent and all the circumstantial evidence surrounding the case, he was ultimately sentenced to death for the rape and murder of five-year-old Yumiko. While the Okinawan community found some solace in the verdict, no one at the time could fathom that this sentence was only temporary. Following his sentencing, Isaac Hurd returned to the US and several politicians swiftly came to his defense. Carl D. Perkins, a Democrat from the state of Kentucky, was particularly concerned over the case. Perkins wrote a formal letter to the White House suggesting that something could be done about the death sentence. Another senator from Kentucky pushed for the sentence to be commuted, stating, The conviction rests upon circumstantial evidence, and there exists some doubt concerning the guilt or innocence of the accused. Another three more senators across different states would go on to plead for the case to be reviewed again, this time more thoroughly. One among them was the future president of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, who had personally requested a law firm to help with Isaac Hurd's appeals. Upon the verdict of a death sentence, Isaac Hurd's attorney promptly appealed to the panel, seeking clemency and a reassessment of the case. He submitted letters and petitions from Hurd's hometown in southeast Kentucky, portraying him as honest and law-abiding. However, the prosecution counted by presenting an affidavit revealing that Hurd had previously served 11 months in prison for assault and attempted rape in the United States. It seems that all hope was lost for the sergeant, and he was destined to meet the gallows. Records state that Isaac Hurd remained reticent during his time on death row. He once believed that the floods in Kentucky at the time had washed away the entire state, which was the reason why he never received any letters from his people. To the politicians that were advocating for Isaac's release, they had to defend him as he was a local Kentucky boy, one of their own. Recognizing that Isaac faced slim chances of being released amidst the intense pressure from the Okinawan people, they strategically waited for the anger to subside and for attention to shift toward anti-American protests instead. It was precisely during this period that these politicians swiftly intervened and fiercely defended the sergeant. Kentucky Republican Eugene Seiler began by writing a letter to then-US President Dwight Eisenhower, stating, The father of this serviceman is 88 years of age, and his mother is 77. They have not seen their son for more than six years. Other Hurt supporters also began to rally, and the White House, 
under President Eisenhower's leadership, began to succumb to the mounting pressure. On one hand, Isaac Hurt had never personally confessed to the crime, and forensic evidence from the hair samples did not directly tie him to the incident. Furthermore, no eyewitnesses could directly connect him to Yumiko on the night of the incident, and even the heavily intoxicated sergeant himself couldn't remember what happened. Conversely, commuting his sentence might be perceived as a partial and unfair move to the Okinawan people. President Eisenhower spent weeks grappling with this dilemma. Was the death penalty an appropriate sentence for someone convicted on circumstantial evidence? Or was Sergeant Isaac Hurt merely being used as a scapegoat to pacify the Okinawan people? In June of 1960, five years after the crime, President Eisenhower responded to increasing public pressure and decided to commute Isaac Hurd's sentence to 45 years without the possibility of parole. Hurd later served as an administrative trustee at the Fort Leavenworth Prison in Kansas, but suffered a stroke in 1969 while playing sports. As time passed, Hurd experienced the loss of function in his right arm and leg, navigating the prison yard with the support of a cane. Nevertheless, he persisted in challenging his 45-year sentence. In a letter addressed to his pardon attorney, the Senate and President Gerald Ford's Attorney General, he wrote, The way things are here, there is nothing to hope for me. I can only believe that I was sacrificed to appease the dissident political elements who were demanding an end to the American military occupation. In January 1977, President Ford approved Isaac Hurd's eligibility for parole and by November of the same year, he was seen leaving the prison, but walking with a limp. In 1981, he married a woman named Laura, who worked as a kitchen helper. A year later, Laura began the process of submitting documents to the White House in Washington, aiming to secure a complete presidential pardon for him. Reports indicate that during his time on death row, Sergeant Isaac Hurd was perceived as distant and unemotional. Descriptions painted him as tall, skinny, and someone who preferred to keep to himself. Following his release from prison, his wife Laura portrayed him in a different light, characterizing him as a law-abiding, good and moral citizen. Contrary to the expectation of meeting his end at the end of a noose in prison, Sergeant Hurd passed away in August 1984 within the comfort of a hospital in Ohio. He died while still waiting for a response from the White House. Currently, Isaac is buried beneath an official grave marker supplied by the Department of Veteran Affairs. In a cemetery in Ohio State, the marker commemorates his World War II service in the U.S. Navy before his subsequent enlistment with the Army on Okinawa. Though it makes no reference to the latter period of his life. According to the guidelines established by the VA, grave markers should not be supplied to service members who have been discharged from the military under any dishonorable circumstances. Additionally, veterans or servicemen who have committed a capital crime or specific sex offenses may also be ineligible for receiving burial and memorial benefits. The Chief of Public Affairs and Outreach at the VA's National Cemetery Administration, 
has stated that Isaac's case is currently undergoing a thorough review, and corrective actions will be taken if it is determined that the marker was issued in error. An Asian True Crime Podcast is brought to you by MediaCorp and 1UP Media. This episode was produced and written by Guangjin, edited by Alex, narrated by Jason, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from 1UP Media. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.